Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. This is Abdurrahman, and you're listening to the Heartwork series on the Qalam podcast. Heartwork is a weekly session at the Ruth Community Space in Dallas, Texas, where young professionals come together and discuss ideas and concepts on how to grow in their religious practice and their relationship with Allah. This particular series is called The Messenger, where the focus of the discussions will be on lessons from the life of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. If you enjoy and appreciate these sessions and these series, then please consider becoming a sustainer of the Roots community space by going to rootsdfw.org sustain. We really appreciate your contribution. We appreciate your prayers. And we appreciate you listening to the programming that we put out. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullah. All right, salam alaikum, everybody. Salam alaikum. Welcome, everybody. Is it cold enough? Inshallah. Just make dua for snow. Seriously, because if it's going to be cold, it might as well be beautiful, right? If you're going to have to deal with the pain of cold, it might as well be nice visually. Uh, so we ask Allah Ta'ala to afrig alayna thalj, snow, a lot of snow, inshallah. Say ameen. Wow, you guys are... Listen, if it snows, how about this? Let's put it this way. If it snows because you're in Texas or the South, you're probably going to have six months off work, <laughs> right? But you're going to run out of bread and milk and eggs at the grocery store. I still remember when I was in Tennessee and uh, it snowed. And again, in Chicago or like if you grow up anywhere in the North, if it snows or if it's you know any sort of ice condition, it's not, no- it's not uh, strange. It's not like a negative. People still go to work. They still go to school. They're just used to it because it snows so frequently there. You can't just cancel an entire semester of class or whatever. Um, but I guess where it's infrequent, obviously people react accordingly. And so I remember in Tennessee, I went to the grocery store to get some stuff and there was forecast uh, for some light snow, you know, the one that doesn't even stick where kids are trying to make snowballs and they're just scraping their hands on the asphalt outside. They're just like, quick, get a snowball. Um, and uh, I remember seeing like the entire, the racks, everything were empty. Everybody was, mashallah, prepared. And everyone, I guess, made French toast next morning because that's all you can do with those three ingredients, pretty much. Um, but anyways, that being said, you know, this, the, these cold nights, it's obviously, or these cold days and nights, there's obviously a lot of hesitance towards, uh, you know, things like fajr, things like wudu, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, and actually, subhanAllah, the, 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 the temperature has like an impact on just your overall mood, right? And your willingness and your yearning to like get up and do stuff. Um, and so there are some actually some narrations from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that talk about um, in order to counteract that negativity or that perception of these, you know, these cold days and nights being so difficult. Uh, some scholars have even referred to some narrations which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam referred to these being like the, the days or the seasons of, of ihsan, of good worship, uh, because why? Because the days are short, and some scholars talked about specifically the days are short enough to fast. You guys remember growing up, Ramadan was in the winter time. You like, get home from school, barely make asr, right? Have like take a nap for thirty minutes, break your fast, right? Didn't it wasn't really you know that difficult, I guess. Um, so they say you can fast. So if you have any makeup fast that you want to do or any fasting at all, like now's the time. Now's the time. Bang for your buck, dude. You know, you missed fast for whatever reason, travel, uh, period, whatever. You missed your fast. Now's the time, right? You, you're skipping those 16-hour days, and you're getting, like, really short ones. Totally cool, okay? 
Bismillah, go for it. Uh, or also, there are the days where you know Isha is really early. One of the reasons why we're, we, we're really intentional about wanting to pray Isha before the session is because I know that everyone's really focused on getting home afterwards. And the best feeling is when you get home and you've already prayed. All right? It's the best feeling. Okay? Um, and so, anyways, alhamdulillah. Happy to see everybody here. A couple announcements. Number one is that uh, every seems like every week we got some new stuff going on, new things happening. And if you want to be updated in a more clear way, in a more direct way, we have a Telegram group. Telegram is basically uh, like WhatsApp, but better. And so most people don't use uh, Telegram. They use WhatsApp. So we decided to go to Telegram because that will kind of just be the de facto Roots group. So if you go to rootsdfw.org slash Telegram, there's like a bunch of different group categories you can join uh, based on your demographic. Um, so you can hop in there and you can just get announcements, inshallah. If you're not on social media that often, um, we don't have an email list yet but if you're not on social media that often then this is a good route inshallah and there's no spamming it's really just very practical super functional um secondly there are some food boxes from halal bites uh on the counter over there so feel free inshallah afterwards if you'd like to grab a box for the ride home for seconds bismillah go for it or if you didn't get any then you can head over there inshallah okay um so we'll start inshallah bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulullah uh Last week, we had a, a lot of movement. And actually, like we said last week, I know we've only been doing sessions now for, um, this is, I think, our 15th session, going over the life of the Prophet Wasallam. So it's only been a few months, but we've already, we've already covered uh, a significant amount of the Prophet Wasallam's life. Where, you know, in, in terms of the message itself, you know, we're almost halfway through the time, the years of prophethood. And we're probably at the point now where the Prophet Wasallam is just around 50 years old. Right? He's just around 50 years old. And so he received a message at 40. We've covered about 10 years of his life. And this is kind of the idea that Sirah, the, the biography, the life of the Prophet ﷺ, can be studied with a microscope. It can be studied. You can look at it and learn about it You know, generally in like a one-hour lecture. You can do 100 lectures. Shaykh Abdul Nasser's Sirah class that he did took him nine years to finish. I think it was 200 uh, plus hours, 200 lectures. Or you can, you know, there's so many different ways in which you can engage with any science, any subject. The goal of this particular semester, this particular kind of course of study, was just to be a familiarizing effort so that we all walk away from this class knowing the basics and the more, like, I guess, um, foundational moments in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, with obviously a specific lens on the young professional experience. So what are some things that we can take from that? Well, the reason I'm saying this is because this is not the end-all be-all, right? As we're learning from some of these events, there may be some events that are happening in between some of these major milestones that we don't go over that in depth. And that's not because they're not important necessarily. It's just because we have a specific focus that we're trying to accomplish. But if you want to dive in more, by all means, you should. Right, this is like 101. There's 201, 301, 401, and so on. So this should be an introduction. And you might have known or heard or seen or read different narrations about the life of the Prophet that actually happened that we didn't go over. That's great. And there's much, much more. Right. Um, but last week we did end up on the point of what was called the Amal Huzn, the year of sadness. And this was the year. Why we call it the year of sadness? What happened that made it such a heavy year for the Prophet yeah, his uncle and his wife Khadija, they passed away, and this was like the, 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 the and, and amongst other things, right? So the boycott had ended, but it was obviously a difficult three years before that. Then his uncle passes away, and his uncle passes away in a very, extremely tragic way, where 
basically the Prophet Sallallahu is sitting next to him asking him just for one statement, one word, just one thing that he can take to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and one thing that he can stand for him on the Day of Judgment. And his uncle passes, um, unfortunately being influenced by the people around him, his tribesmen, uh, to, to not accept this new message or the message of Allah that the Prophet Sallallahu had brought. And so that was a very emotional time for the Prophet Sallallahu very difficult. Um, his wife Khadija passes away. Very emotional. I mean, these things stuck with the Prophet Sallallahu until his own death. You know, until his own passing, these things stuck with him. The Prophet Sallallahu would, you know, be very, very sad, even at the sight of, for example, Khadija's sister, right? Um, he would see something that reminded him of his wife, and it would just kind of put him in a mood, right? And, 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 and you know, admittedly so, like it should. Uh, but it was very heavy upon him. Um, and then what happened that made it even more difficult was that when Abu Talib passes away, when Khadija passes away, it's not just the emotional separation, but now Khadija, anha, obviously being, you know, the Fortune 500 CEO, woman of the, woman of the year, she's balling, mashallah, and so they have a lot of financial backing from that. And then you have Abu Talib, who even though financially he wasn't high up, he was socially very heavy in his name, right, from, the, from his lineage. So what happens when Abu Talib passes away? The Prophet loses his basic social protection. He loses the force field around him that is from his family's reputation, the family's lineage, meaning that people would want to do things to him. Occasionally they would try to do things to him, but they couldn't really do it to the degree that they wanted to because they would have to answer to the entire tribe and especially to the uncle of the Prophet Now that he passed away, the torture started to pick up. The harassment started to pick up. It became a daily occurrence that the Prophet couldn't even walk in the street without some random person, some random you know, individual throwing dirt at his face, saying something to him, pushing him. You know, uh, He couldn't even walk outside of his door without finding something there, whether it was like a dead animal or like human waste, all these things that we talked about that were really, really difficult on the Prophet So this was all leading now to a, a culmination, a, 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 an event that would prove to be the most difficult day in the life of the Prophet Why do we know that it's the most difficult day? We're not just saying that to be dramatic. He actually told us this. Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked the Prophet she said, هَلْ أَتَعَلَيْكَ يَوْمٌ كَانَ أَشَدَّ مِنْ يَوْمِ That has there ever been a day that for you was heavier, it was more difficult, right? Then the day of Uhud. What was the day of Uhud? We're going to learn about it in a few weeks. But it was the, the Uhud is the name of the mountain range. And there was a battle that occurred there. And in that battle, the Muslims, they suffered a lot of loss of fellow believers and, and very notable ones like uh, Hamza, the uncle of the Prophet, Musa bin Umair, uh, many people. And it was a very, very tragic battle. For a lot of reasons, right? We'll go over it, inshallah, when we get there. But that was Aisha's experience. That was for her. She wasn't at that age in the Meccan Meccan era where she experienced these things. And so when this Medinan tragedy of Uhud happened, she wanted to know, like, is this the worst thing you've ever gone through? Because she's asking him. And the Prophet responds and he says, no. Actually, as tough as this was. And the Prophet on Uhud, by the way, he himself took a pretty bad, like he got bruised, he got cut, he got like as far as battle scars, wounds, he went through it, you know, bleeding from the face. He had a cut so deep that his daughter had to burn um, like like grass, basically, like the straw mat and take the ashes from it and like treat the wound so that his bleeding would stop, 
Okay, so Urhud was tough. And even though it was that tough, he said, no, it wasn't the most difficult day. The most difficult day was the day of Thaif. And that's the day we're going to talk about now. So in an attempt to find safety, the Prophet ﷺ, he takes himself and he takes his servant, right? His intern, right? His servant intern, Zayd bin Haritha. And he takes, they, they go together and Zayd was basically like this, you know, essentially he was the adopted son of the Prophet ﷺ in that way. Uh, he chose to live with the Prophet ﷺ. He, he stayed with him and he became, you know, part of his, his home, part of his family essentially. And so he takes Zayd with him and they go to this nearby city called Ta'if. Now Ta'if, a lot of us have only heard of this city, maybe, anyone here heard of the city of Ta'if? If you've ever even heard the stories of the Prophet before. Okay, but it's not very popular to hear about it. Like it's not known. If you think of the two holy cities, what names come to your mind? Mecca and Medina. Very good. Okay, I actually know friends who named their kids Mecca Medina. It's kind of cute. Um, so Mecca and Medina, they're known like the two names that people think of when they think of Islamic cities, right? You got Mecca, Medina, you have Quds. Okay, may Allah Taala uplift Quds from the oppression that's experiencing. So you have these cities, but Ta'if was actually a much more well-known city than Medina. Medina only became what it was because of the Prophet ﷺ. It only became, Yathrib only became Medina al-Munawwara because the Prophet ﷺ went there. It's like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Who are they really without LeBron? Like honestly, right? Okay, or Toronto, Miskeen. Like what are they doing without Kauai? Okay, or as I call him, Kauhi, right? Okay, we have to say it with Tajweed. Kauhi, Kauhi, Leonard. Okay, so... Ta'if or Medina was kind of like unknown until the Prophet ﷺ got there. It wasn't, it didn't really even have a good reputation, okay, before the Prophet ﷺ got there. It was Ta'if. Ta'if was the one. And even till today, by the way, Ta'if is still known as like a resort city. It still has a lot of cool things. There's some like, there's some, it's, it's actually green. It's not like just sand. There's some vegetation there. They have like, um, I think they grow grapes actually, which is interesting because according to the story, we'll find out that the Prophet ﷺ has some of those grapes. But they have a lot of, you know, fertile land. So the Prophet ﷺ thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to make my way to Ta'if. It's nearby, right? It's 55-ish miles away from Mecca. I'm going to make my way to Ta'if and I'm going to try to find a sanctuary there for our people. Let me see if, you know, Mecca's not working out. It's clear. Now that my uncle passed away, I'm, I have no protection here. Let me go to Ta'if and see if I can make a way there, okay? So it's like leaving Irving going to Denton. Very good, okay? But those 55 miles, you know, if you get in a car and you drive, maybe an hour or whatnot, imagine walking by yourself with one other person. No, you know, supplies are very thin. Supplies are, it's not easy. The Prophet Sallallahu walks there on foot, takes him a couple days, and he ends up spending, uh, the narrations say about 10 days there. Okay, now some backstory, we know the Prophet Sallallahu his character was so amazing. We know that his character was something that we strive to copy, so beautiful. Like people couldn't, they couldn't uh, interact with the Prophet Sallallahu except they would just love him, even if they disagreed with him. I mean, you would find some of the people of Quraysh, the Kufar of Quraysh, like they would talk about him and they'd be like, Man, he's just like the best. Like one time there was uh, uh, one of them, his daughter was going to marry the Prophet ﷺ. And some of the other Qurayshi leaders were making fun of that man. He was like, there's no one better for marriage than the Prophet. We all know that, right? So they admitted to his character. They admitted to how amazing ﷺ he was. And Allah himself in the Quran says this. That Allah says that we, we made you somebody that your character was like untouchable. Like people just, you talk to them and you're just, people are magnetically just, wow, impressed. So these 10 days, it's not a stretch for us to say that when he's sitting with these people in Ta'if, that he's not being rude, 
Okay, he's not being like a jerk. He's not over there. He's not inconveniencing people. And there's actually one very interesting proof of this. When he goes to Ta'if, he doesn't go and start announcing his needs to the community. He doesn't run into the city and go to the city center and start yelling, hey, we need a place to live. They're persecuting us. Save us. Imagine, right? what would you do if you were in your, you know, your residence, your home, you were essentially being tortured, your friends were being killed? Like You would go to the nearest place of safety and you probably would not be very calm about it. But the Prophet, because his character was so perfect, he doesn't just run up to the community and try to introduce a fitna or chaos. What he does is he actually tries to schedule meetings with the leaders of the city because he knows that if he wants to officially be taken in he needs to meet with the people in charge so he schedules meetings and the meetings are actually from three or the governors i'm sorry the leaders are three brothers there's an old an eldest a middle and a youngest okay so when the prophet sallallahu finally gets a chance to meet them he talks to them and he doesn't even ask them to accept his message he doesn't even say like I want you to accept me as a prophet. Does not say that. There's no, um, there's no strings attached to this you know, message. All he's saying is we have a community of people. We are believers. We, don't mean, we mean no harm. We're just worshiping one God. We are following. I'm the messenger of Allah. All we need is a place to call home, place to live. We're not going to take any. We know we're productive members of society. We're not going to take any. Uh, we're not going to add any burden to your city. And the three men... If you think about the character of the Prophet you would think that they would respond well, peacefully, nicely. And even if they didn't want to, most people who are normal in their disposition would say, you know, thank you, but no thank you. Okay? It's like when somebody tries to sell you something at the mall and you're walking by, right? You're like, thank you, but no thank you. Or you're walking by and they're like, 50,000 points in your credit card. You're like, I already have credit cards, right? You just have this, even if you, it's clear as day. Anyone here ever get caught where you talk to somebody for like an hour and you don't want it? but you just kind of feel awkward. You're like super conflict avoidant. You don't want to like... So that happens. And you would assume that if somebody didn't want it, they would at least be kind about it. These three people, we can learn lessons from their responses because this, subhanAllah, is what happens when the heart is so rusted over that literally truth can be on your doorstep and you can respond to it with such putridness that when we compare it later to this person named Adas, it's phenomenal, the difference. It's phenomenal. So the first brother says, you're saying God sent you as a messenger? Again, he's not asking them to accept. All he's asking for is a place to what? Play to live. Yeah, that's all you want, place to stay. We just need to crash for you know, a few, few weeks, a few months before, while we figure this out. So the brother takes it upon himself not to give an answer, yes or no. He says, you're saying God sent you as a prophet? He says, if... That's true. If you can prove it, I'm going to go to the Kaaba right now and I'm going to take the cloth and I'll tear it off myself. Right? If that's true, that God sent you as a prophet. Okay? So what's he doing? He's being arrogant with God's decision. He's fronting God with a little bit of arrogance. It's not just denying. He's not just rejecting. Right? There's a certain kind of rejection where it's like, okay, this person rejected, but at least they were neutral. Okay? In their rejection. You have this person who's now rejecting and adding salt to the wound, insult to injury, okay? Very similar to like Iblis. Iblis didn't just not bow. When Iblis was asked, why didn't you bow? He didn't say things like, I don't know. He said, I'm better than him, right? He came at it. So we learned number one characteristic, okay, is this man was arrogant. The second brother, when the Prophet Sosan meets with him, he says, he looks at the Prophet Sosan and he says, look at you. 
And he goes, you're saying God sent you and you're saying that God could not find anybody in the world better than you. Look at you, right? Well, who are you? What makes you so special that God would choose you? We know what makes him so special, but he's this person saying this, right? Blinded by his own delusion. So first one was arrogant. Second one now is mocking. Okay, he's mocking the choice of God, mocking religion. The third, he goes to the prophet, the prophet goes to him and he tells him, we just need a place to stay. And he goes, look, man, I don't even want to talk to you. The prophet was like, okay, and this guy's name is Habib. It's supposed to be like, whenever you think of Habib, you don't think of like a jerk, right? Yeah, Habib, like a butcher, like a young guy, like, oh, Habib, come here, right? This is Habib, he's a jerk, right? So the prophet tells him, goes to him and says, and he says, I don't even want to talk to you. And then listen to why, listen to his reason. Okay, this shows you, by the way, that like Shaitan is smart. He's not stupid. Shaitan has got a strategy. He's like, because if I talk to you, and if you are a prophet, then I have to accept you. But if I don't talk to you, I don't know if you're a prophet. <laughs> this is like the Muslim ummah and restaurants. <laughs> okay, yes or no? True or false? Yeah. This is like, hey, do you know that donut shop? Don't say it. Do not say it. We're going there on Saturday. Tell me Sunday, right? I will, I will grieve in the week, and then we'll find another donut shop, okay? So what does he do? The third one, he pleads ignorance. He says, don't talk to me, because if you talk to me, leave, it's, ah, it covers you. I don't want to talk to you. He, says, because, he actually said, because if you are a prophet, then rejecting you is going to be a big deal. Like, that's, I can't do that, Okay? And so, subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ, he sits with them, and then he says, okay, fair enough. You know, I've spent 10 days with you people. I tried to, you know, I tried to just ask nicely. I'm not asking for too much. He says, but if this is the way you feel, I'm not going to ask you to change your mind. Okay? All I ask is one favor. Is it possible that these conversations that we had, just keep them between us? There's no need for you to go out and publicize this. There's no need for you to go and send messengers across to all the tribes surrounding us and tell them that, hey, this guy came. He asked for safety. We rejected him. Listen to what we said, LOL. He says, just don't do it. Why? Because he knows the Prophet Sallallahu anticipates that if the leadership of Mecca particularly or other cities find out, then what happens? Well, the Meccans, what are they going to do? They're going to do what? They're going to intensify their harassment, their prosecution. Very good. Persecution, why? Not prosecution, it's not a court case. Their persecution, why? Because they know, ha, they went somewhere, the closest option closed off, their morale is going to be low, right? They, they're just going to deal with it. Maybe now this is our chance to break them. What about the other tribes? What are they going to say? Exactly. They're going to mob mentality, follow suit. This is the way human beings are. Right? If you see people walking by something and no one engages with it, you're not going to engage with it. But if you see somebody, everyone ever seen like the elevator trick? Everyone faces one wall in the elevator? You guys ever seen it before? It's crazy how human beings are. If, if a group of people is doing something and a person who has no real knowledge of what should be done walks in, they're going to copy exactly what everyone else. So these tribes, they're going to say, what happened? Mecca's turning them away. Five turned them away. Oh, don't come here. Even if there's nothing wrong. They're going to say, don't come here. So the Prophet is telling them, please, just, just don't. Like, just respect. And back in, back in these times, and even in modern day in certain areas of the world, there is a certain level of dignity that even enemies have with each other. 
You know what I mean? Like there's a certain – they call them the rules of engagement. They would actually stop, you know, like I believe actually even up until recently like the world wars and things like that. They would actually stop fighting for certain things at certain points in the day. There would almost be like a, a recovery period for the soldiers to like restock their ammunition. And like there are certain like rules of war that people followed, right? Now with, you know, Allah, Allah help us, man. Like it's just ridiculous. Cloudy days people pray for because of the drones. Allah ta'ala protect these people. You have these people and he's just asking them for human decency. Please just don't. What do they do? They're like, ha, Right. They call out to their entire city and they call everybody. And the books actually say they call like children and people and elderly and, you know, the people of society and the foolish people, right? And they call everybody and they say, everybody get some stones, grab some rocks. And they say, line up and follow those two people, the Prophet Sallallahu and Zayd. Follow them. And when they walk, they're commanding their entire city now to do this. Throw these stones at them. Throw the stones that you picked up and throw it at them. And throw it at them every time they take a step. And every time these people threw and these rocks hit the Prophet ﷺ, the crowds would start cheering. They would erupt in applause like it was a game. And the Prophet ﷺ starts bleeding from his head and his arms and his body to the point where the narrations say that his sandals that were leather were dyed red from the blood. And Zaid can't see this, right? So what he does is when he sees these people throwing, he jumps in front of them and gets hit in the head. And the prophet grabs him and says, don't. Don't do that. They're not aiming for you. They're aiming for me. So the prophet does this. And I actually, subhanAllah, I remember learning this when I first read the seerah, but I was reminded today because I forgot it. I thought that this happened maybe, you know, 500 yards, whatever. The narration say this happened for three miles. Three miles. 15 minutes to walk a mile maybe, 45 minutes to go through this torture. Why? Because the hearts of these people could not stand to see the truth that was before them. So rusted over, so interesting, something so beautiful, a person so beloved, literally, like literally a a European man draws a cartoon and the entire Middle East is flipping over cars, right? I'm not sanctioning this. FYI, please stop flipping cars over, okay? It's wrong to be destructive. Wrong, okay? CIA listening, everybody. It's wrong. <laughs> but look at the love that people have for the Prophet The love. One time I was giving a khutbah, <laughs> and I was giving, <laughs> I'm just laughing. I was giving a khutbah, and I said the Prophet Wasallam, and I, I described him, and I said he became flustered, okay? Which is a description that if you learn the seerah, is very accurate. Like he became flustered sometimes, Okay? This uncle gets up to me, okay, and he's like, how dare you say that about our prophet? And I said, what? What did I say? Because after khutbah, he goes, how dare you say he ever became flustered? And I was like, I'm sorry. I apologize. And he's like, don't you ever talk about our prophet that way. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Whatever you say, boss. Like, I am... Absolutely. And again, I didn't even engage. Why? Because that's love, dude. Like, that's love. Even if this man, I disagree with him, but I can't disagree with his love. Like, holy God. Like, this guy is like, you know, he was about to break his jummah. Like, he's about to, like, get up and yell at me. That's love, dude. And, 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 and the person who's so beloved, like, you go and see his masjid, you go and see the green dome, you go and say salam, you just break down in tears like a baby. Literally like a baby. I have a baby right now. Literally like a baby. 
and you love that person so much you never met him and these people they met him and they did this thing. subhanallah what kind of difference must there be in the hearts of people that's why you always ask a lot to keep your heart pure because you may not be perfect but at least you can love the prophet you may not be perfect but at least you can love the prophet right so the prophet he walks out of this city and he walks three miles and he goes and subhanallah he finds himself in this valley, in this garden area, sorry, a tree. And he sits down and just for a moment he just rests, okay? He just sits and relaxes. I don't know if you guys have ever been like rushing somewhere, trying to find safety, trying to find, you know, a little bit of relaxation. You've been standing for a long time. And finally you get like a chair or a couch. And you're just like, ah, oh, you just kind of like exhale. So the Prophet Sallallahu he does that. And he sits and he raises his hands. And two really interesting things happen here. The first is that he raises his hands and he makes dua to Allah. And the dua he makes is one that is so interesting because the tone of this dua is so personal. Like it's not very formal. It's not very like technical. It's just a person crying to Allah. And what is he saying? He says, oh Allah, Allahumma ilayka ashku du'afa kuwati wa qillata hilati wa hawani ala nas. He says, oh Allah, I'm complaining to you. I'm complaining to you. How many of you like being complained to? Anyone? No. Okay. MashaAllah. Everyone take note. No one likes being complained to. Okay? Just take note. Okay? So he's complaining to Allah. There are narrations that actually teach us the Prophet says that Allah loves you when you complain to him. He loves when you whine to him, not to other people. Why? Because he actually has the power to change your condition. Like if I call my friend and I'm like, don't you just hate? this don't you just hate xyz and they're like yeah dude totally right and they're just like on speakerphone i can tell when i'm speakerphone they're just scrolling i'm like aren't you listening no yeah allah loves when i open my hands oh allah this is really bothering me i just hate this i just can't stand it allah loves that so he complains to allah oh allah i complain to you about my weakness my lack of any resources and the fact that nobody thinks of me in a good way Right? He's complaining now about the situation. And he says, Oh Allah, you are the most merciful. He said, You are the Lord of the weak people, and I am weak. You are my Lord, and I am weak. To whom will you give authority over me? Who's taking control of my fate? Is it to these people who are going to abuse me? He's asking Allah. Or is it to somebody else that has power over me that I have no idea? And then he says, Very beautifully, after complaining to Allah, he finishes his dua with this one point. Right? So here's the here's the here's the the plot twist. You can complain to Allah, I can complain to Allah. But what do we finish every complaint with? We say what? As long as you are not upset with me, O Allah, that's all that matters. As long as you're not upset with me. I'm confused. I have no idea what the heck is going on. I don't know why you're doing this to me. You're it is very possible. One of my teachers said this, Dr. Omar, he said this in one of the classes I attended. Very few of his classes, but I attended one. He said, very powerful. He said, you can love the God that puts you in a situation that you hate. You can love the God that puts you in a situation that you hate. Okay, and I gave this example at Soul Food, I think, with the college kids. Like, I punish Musa. I put him in the corner. And he cries. And he hates it. Last night... <laughs> Last night when I punish him, when he knows he's about to get in trouble, you know what he goes? When he says, Baba, go away. He preemptively knows. So he knows, for example, outside, there's like this, <laughs> I'm getting way too personal. Outside, there's like this, this thing, this, this thing that collects water, this table. And we tell him, Musa, 
do not play with the water. If you go outside and there's water there, do not play. It's yucky water. It's yucky, right? So yucky. Gundu, right? And he's like, okay. And I have so much confidence when he says it. Okay, Baba. I'm like, God, I love you, right? And then I open the door and the kid runs out and he's like making ghostal, dude, like in this water. And I'm like, Musa, I just told you, like, you're going to get tetanus. Like, come on, man. You haven't finished your vaccinations yet. And so when I open the door, he'll hear the door open and I just see him like caught red handed. And he goes, Baba, go away. And I'm like, you're giving it up even more now. Like, if you just play it cool and walk away from the table, I might. But you know what? I'm happy I have a bad liar. Because if he's a good liar, then I'd be worried, okay? But subhanAllah, at the end of that punishment, you know who he runs to and hugs while he's crying? Me. Whoever punished him for myself or my wife, punished, okay, obviously, consequences. Last night, subhanAllah, he, we had some friends over and he, yeah, there was this girl that was kind of like taking whatever toy he wanted and he just decked her. <laughs> like, decked her. You know, like what the Cowboys struggled against the Vikings yesterday? Tackling? He just, he just decked her. And I go, Musa. And the parents were really cool. They're like, oh, no. They're like, no, she shouldn't have done that. I'm like, no, he shouldn't learn that he can deck somebody if they touch his book. Like, you know, so I yelled at him. I was like, Musa, what are you doing, man? And I got down on his level. I'm like, what are you doing? And you know what he said? He goes, I'm scared. Because he knew he was getting in trouble. He goes, Bob, I'm scared. I said, you can't do that, man. You can't melt me like as I'm about to come at you. And then subhanAllah, I said, go say sorry. He goes, sorry. And I said, go tell her. I won't do it again. He goes, I won't do it again. And then he comes over to me, and they left, and he started crying. It's, and he started crying into me, hugging me. And subhanAllah, like, this is why the Prophet uses the example of God's mercy to us as a, a mother to her child. Or a parent to their child. This is why. Because we'll never understand it, but it's the closest that we can get. And I know many of us who don't have kids in this room are like, it's Theoryville. I get it. I've, I've been in your seat. No, I, I've been there. And I've always thought theoretically, and I'm like, my mom and I kind of fight a lot, right? Or this and that. But inshallah, 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 if you ever have kids, or if you don't and you're not at that point yet, observe other people who have young kids. And watch for that mercy. And you'll see what Allah has with you time and time again. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi one time there was a mother looking for her child. She was crying. They found the child. She grabbed the child. She was crying. The baby was crying. And he asked the companions around him who saw the whole thing. He said, do you think this mother would ever take her kid and throw him in the fire? Like a, a pit of fire? And the companions said, no, of course not. We just saw this whole thing unfold. He goes, God loves you more than that mother loves her child. Never wants to throw you in the fire. It's not what he wants. Okay? So the Prophet Sallallahu He's complaining to Allah, but then at the same time says, Allah, as long as you're not upset with me, that's all I care about. All right? That's all, that's all I care about. And then he says, I seek refuge in you by the light of your face, by your countenance, by which all darkness is illuminated, and the things of this world and the next are ordered, that your anger does not fall on me, nor your displeasure comes upon me. To you is all the supplication, that all the prayers, until you are pleased, and there is no power or might except for you. Right? We understand that things will happen in life and you have no control over it, number one. Number two, you have no understanding of why it's happening. You're only doing what you know you should be doing. The Prophet Sallallahu is not, not doing his job. He's doing his job. But as he's doing it, he's being tested over and over and over. And he shows his humanness, his humanity comes out in his complaints, but then his spirituality always finishes his humanity. 
his humanity is, oh, Allah, help. I don't know what's going on. This is so frustrating. What are these people doing to me? And then his spirituality finishes his humanity. But, oh, Allah, as long as you're, as long as you're there with me, I'm fine. Okay? Now, at this moment, two people are watching this man sitting against a tree calling out to Allah. Oh, by the way, at this moment, another cool thing happened. I said two things happened. Number, number one is the dua. Number two is Jibril shows up. <laughs> and you know it's about to go down. Jibril comes to the Prophet Sallallahu and he says, O Messenger of Allah, Allah heard what you said to those people at Ta'if and he heard their response. Allah knows what happened. He goes, I have my friend here, the angel of the mountains. If you would like, he can take the two mountains between or that are surrounding the city and he can bring them together. What does that mean? If you want, right? It's almost like the guy was like, you want me to get rid of him? Or like, you, you want me to make him move, right? Make him move where? I'm not going to say where he's moving to. He, he won't be here, right? He's like, he can take the mountains and he can bring them together. He can move them together. He goes, if you want it, it'll be done. If that's Jabril asking me, I'm interrupting him saying yes. <laughs> right? I'm like, yes. Right? Serves him right. Ten days, sat with them. Like, honestly, humanity takes over. Weakness takes over. I've been wronged. I want my revenge. Right? That's, human, that's, that's your humanity. Your spirituality is what the Prophet Sallallahu says. He says, no. And this is a person who's still the blood from the rocks that they threw is still on his body. The scars from the damage that is still on him. The tears that he's crying are still moist. And he says, no. He says, because maybe, perhaps, it might be the case that generations from them will accept that there is nothing worthy of worship except for Allah and that I'm his messenger. There's no cancel culture with the Prophet them. He doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it. He just doesn't say, you know what? You lost your chance. Done. Gone. Canceled. Right? That's literal cancel. Angel of Mountain crushing. Like, I'm sorry. It's a little bit more serious than social media influence. He says, because maybe their future ge- hope, the hope he had in people, these people who did nothing but hurt him, those same children that cast those stones at him, he's praying for their guidance. Allahu Akbar. That's crazy. That's the spirituality of the Prophet. As he's sitting there, the two men who own the garden notice him. They're actually the sons of a man from Mecca. Okay, Utba and Sheba, their father's name is Rabia. And they're sitting there and they tell their servant, their slave Adas, they say, go and give that man some of these grapes. Go here, give him something. He looks like he needs something. Go and give him these grapes. So Adas is this interesting person. He goes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He hands him the grapes and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, as any good Muslim should, takes a grape and says, Bismillah. Very good, right? We only have one good Muslim in this room. Okay, all right? <laughs> you know what's hilarious? I remember as a kid... When we were singing with our sheikh, we were like asking questions. Everyone's asking these really deep questions. And I was like, sheikh, what's the dua again if you forget to say bismillah? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, what is it? Because we all forget to say bismillah, right? There's a dua, by the way. There you go, right? Yeah, see, everyone at bismillah. Oh, in the name of Allah, it's beginning and it's end. Meaning like, I forgot. Whoops. <laughs> it was so good, but whoops, right? Um, those first few bites, shaitan got a little portion of them. So... Adas comes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he says, Bismillah. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam takes a grace, says, Bismillah, and he eats. Adas is like, say what? Like literally, what did you say? And he says, no one from this area talks like that. 
Like no one from here says that phrase. So the Prophet smiles and he says, where are you from and what's your religion? And Adas says, I'm from a city called Ninawa and I'm Christian. The Prophet says, Ninawa? And he goes, is that the town of the good person Yunus bin Meta? Is that the town of the of Prophet Yunus, right, historically? And Adas goes, how did you know that? How did you know about Yunus? No one knows about Yunus. How did you know about him? And the Prophet says, that's my brother, right? And he says, He says, he was a prophet and I'm a prophet. We're like this. We're homies. We go way back, right? We go way back, okay? And Adas, he is overwhelmed. He's overcome with emotion because the truth is right in front of him. He leans forward and kisses the head of the Prophet and embraces him. And he accepts him as a messenger. He goes back to Utba and Sheba are watching this. And they're like, oh, no. Because their father's Rabia, right? They go back and he goes back. And they say, what did, what did you do? Why did you do that with that guy? And one of them even said, you never do that to us. <laughs> and he was like, that person is a messenger of God. He's the messenger of Allah. We're going to stop here tonight, but I want to stop with one lesson. Okay. You have two contrasting examples of the Prophet sitting in front of somebody. And in one of those examples, you have three people who each have a chance to accept him. And not only did they not accept him, they rejected him. And not only did they reject him, but they rejected him because of the diseases that were in their heart. Number one was arrogance. Faith will never sit in the heart of an arrogant person. That's why the Prophet said in the hadith that is authentic, that a person who even has an ounce is a good translation, a grain, a gram of arrogance in their heart will never enter paradise. That arrogance, it is like oil and the faith is like water. They cannot coexist, right? They will repel one another. Why? Because arrogance is the disease that convinces a person that God is unnecessary. Arrogance is the ultimate drug of the nafs that I think arrogantly that I can take care of myself. I don't need God. I don't need to pray to him. I don't need anything from him. I don't need to humble myself, right? Faith exists with the oxygen of humility, right? If a person doesn't have humility in their life, iman will suffocate. So arrogance is that thing. And arrogance can find its pathways through many, many ways. How much money a person has, the lineage somebody comes from, the color of their freaking skin, what teams they like, where they live, what clothes they wear. All these things are like weird pathways for kibber to take over the heart. That's why a person has to be ever vigilant on themselves. Even religion can become the fuel of arrogance. Shaitan, Satan, was a great worshiper of God. His religiosity made him arrogant. He thought he was better, right? He thought he was better. He didn't need to bow. I don't need to bow. I'm better than him. He got that confidence. Why? Because he was the worshiper. He was the one. So that's number one. Number two is when a person doesn't understand, what do you do when you don't understand something? Typically, if a person is, you know, normal, they'll say, I don't get it. Somebody says, hey, when you make wudu, you have to rinse your mouth. Okay, why? I don't know. Versus a person when something that engages them, they don't understand, the way that they engage is they mock it. That's the second disease. Istighfaf, istighfaf ad-deen. The scholars talk about this, that a person's discomfort with not knowing 
when they're being forced to humble themselves is they start to make fun of things. Oh, why do you guys do that? Why do you, you don't have to dress like that. You don't have to do that. I remember actually someone in my family's probably my dad's side of the family. My dad converted to Islam. My dad's side of the family. Some of them were a little bit more confident with their words. Let me put it that way. Okay. And they would go to my sisters who wore the, they wore the hijab, they wear the hijab. And they'd be like, you don't have to wear that. Come on. They would start tugging at it. Right. And my sister's like, no, I really do. Right. And like, you don't have to wear it. You don't have to wear it. Come on, take it off. Take it off. It's fine. And they're like, no, no, we're in public. Like, I'm, I want to wear it. Like, stop, stop. Right. Stop. That making light, that mockery of someone's values. And this is, by the way, why Allah even says to us believers, don't mock other people. Don't mock other religions. Don't mock other principled beliefs. Why? Because, number one, it's rude. Rude. <laughs> rude. Right. And the second reason that he mentions Azawajal is that they will unknowingly turn around and start mocking you. And they'll be mocking God and the truth. So we don't allow any room in our life for making a mockery of principle, of belief, of values. We don't. We disagree, but we don't mock. And the third one is that ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Adas, what made him so special? His heart was ready to recognize the truth. If a person's heart is suffocated by these diseases, the truth can be sitting right smack dab in front of your face and you won't recognize it. You won't recognize it. It reminds me of when I was younger and my mom was like, pray. Pray your prayers. And I'm like, okay, right? Allah Akbar, did you make wudu? I think so, right? In prayer. I think so. You can't talk in prayer. Oh. <laughs> pray. Why? Pray. Why? And then when I get older, I'm like, I got to pray. <laughs> SubhanAllah. Prayer has never changed. Prayer has never been different. It's not like a prayer back then was something prayer now. It was the same prayer. Dhuhr is Dhuhr, Maghrib is Maghrib, right? I know there's one in between. Asr, okay? <laughs> what happened? The heart changed. Not the thing, right? Not the thing. Oh, I used to hate fasting. Why? Because I'm big and I love food, right? Now when Ramadan comes around, you're like, Alhamdulillah. Not for the diet, but because why? I can disconnect from this dunya stuff. Work on your heart. If something's not making sense to you in the religion, don't throw it away. Don't say, that's dumb. Don't say, that doesn't make sense. Don't say, I don't even want to engage with that. If something doesn't make sense in Islam, and you know that it's verified, it's coming from like authentic Islamic tradition, then go back to yourself inside and say, how can I clean myself up a bit? How can I prepare this vessel that's inside of me for the information because something's not clicking? And I think I might have an obstruction that's blocking from here. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us peace. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the ability to understand our religion. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the ability to empathize with the Prophet them and be the ones that don't turn him away, but the ones who accept him. We ask Allah to make us more like Adas, to be the one that when we see truth, we accept it wholeheartedly. And we love it. And we embrace it. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not allow us to hesitate when we see things that are truthful. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make our hearts courageous enough to accept the truth as it is and courageous enough to reject the falsehood as it is. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to purify our hearts from all these sicknesses, whether it's arrogance or mockery or ignorance. Oh Allah, we ask you to purify our hearts from these diseases. Oh Allah, we ask you to give us strong faith and we ask you to grant us ease in our affairs, untangle the, the difficulties in our life and give us the courage and strength to deal with the difficulties that we're going through. Oh Allah, we ask you to forgive us of our sins and grant us cures of our bodies and our minds and hearts. And we ask you, O oh Allah, to make our lives 
pleasing to you and easy for us. And we ask you all to grant us paradise. Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Barakulafikum, everybody. Jazakumullah khairan. we got a whole bunch of stuff happening. This Friday, I will say, inshallah, um, just before you all leave, we have our conversation session uh, called Happily Ever After. It's a session meant to reach the topic of marriage, healthy relationships. It is open to single individuals as well. It's not meant to be a couples therapy session, although couples also will benefit from the conversation, right? It's basically the planning, the preparation, and the execution of happy relationships. So whether or not you are in a relationship or single or it's complicated, right, uh, then inshallah we want to see you here, bidnillahi ta'ala, okay? Inshallah to learn about that. We also have Community Cafe on Saturday. And before Community Cafe, we have a tree planting initiative, inshallah, which is part of the Sunnah of the Prophet, so anyways, check out the calendar. We'll see you all around. Stay warm. Leave your tap water dripping.